Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the King Kong Minute Podcast, the show where we analyze, scrutinize, and celebrate the 2005 film King Kong one minute at a time. My name is Terry. And my name is Steven. And today we're going to be talking about minute number 39. This minute is going to be starting with Denim looking supremely confident and ends with Jimmy looking seriously suspicious. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Carl, again, pulls out this confidence out of nowhere and just runs with it. Mm -hmm. And I think he does a pretty good job because it works. And it shouldn't, but it does. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's Denim's whole shtick. This should not have worked. And yet here we are. (laughs) How did I get here? Yeah. (laughs) That's another. I want a jar for that. Another swear jar for ASDF movie references. Yep. One for Jurassic Park mentions, Titanic mentions, all the others. Yeah. Establishing um, Shots Adventure. Yeah. But, I mean, and here the Denim really finally gives his pitch. Th- this mm-hmm. is it. Find Skull Island. Find it, film it, show it to the world. Like, yep. should have. that's what he should have led with, with the producers. For 25 cents, you get to see the last blank spot on the map. I mean, that's punchy. There's the appeal. It's not just you're not making you're not just making a movie. You're making it's like an expo on the last mm-hmm. bit of undiscovered land on the earth. Yeah, and that probably would have been more likely to work. Mm-hmm. He just has this thing for dramatic showmanship, though. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, ooh, here we go. What if he doesn't think that um, he's what if he's not used to everyone um believing in his dreams, hmm. like he does, and so he doesn't want to start with what seems like a dream. Instead, he'll try and be like sneak it in with something a little bit more believable and normal like hey they're they're used to me shooting safari pictures what if i don't tell them that i'm actually going this crazy journey to an uncharted island with barely a map to talk about they won't believe that so let's just start with something simple mm-hmm. because he's used to people not being on board with his crazy aspirations mm-hmm. but i think they would have been in this case i think you're right yeah um Following that, let's see. Sorry, said my twenty-five cents. You get to see the last blank, bank, last blank space on the map. Mm-hmm. Then good line, Blumpy, ever ominous. Won't be so sure about that. <laughs> um, better we, than mine. We see me. <laughs> I think I okay, more like the trolls from the Hobbit. You do. I think we agree. <laughs> I stick to the Andy Circus impression here, <laughs> except Gollum. You can have Gollum. I can't do Gollum worth crap. Really. I, I mean, I've tried. I need to work on it. I'm not going to do it for this podcast right yeah. now, but uh, I, I haven't done it in forever, so I don't mm-hmm. even know. <laughs> um, we get an like, interesting little uh, close-up of Lumpy's torso here as we focus on what I'm pretty sure he is doing is scrimshaw work. The piece of carving in his hand. And for those of you at home who don't know, scrimshaw is a bit of um, artwork and carving and engraving that is um, specific... Uh, associated with sailors because scrimshaw is scroll work, engravings, and carvings done in bone or ivory. Typically, it refers to the artwork created by whalers engraved on the byproducts of whales such as bone or cartilage, most commonly made out of the bones and teeth of sperm whales. Um, it's a fascinating uh, like side genre, basically subgenre of artwork and engraving. Um, largely illegal nowadays to create right. new, but if you can collect previous works of Scrimshaw, it is a fascinating hobby, and you get some really beautiful artwork. 
Yeah. Um, so I like that we have a uh, sailor working on Scrimshaw here. It's really cool. It's very cool detail. Cause um, I remember going over Scrimshaw. We did a high school art class. Obviously we weren't doing Scrimshaw, but they right. talked about it. And then we carved, um, Oh, what was it? We carved something. It was like, was it plaster mold? Mm. <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but like we tried to replicate it. With, it didn't work well. Uh-huh. She was an aspirational art teacher. <laughs> I mean, hey, it was cool that she like made you guys aware of it. That's more than most. Yeah, yeah. That's um, pretty cool. Looks like we also have what I would guess is uh, shark tooth around Lumpy's I don't neck. Think I saw that. I didn't see that. Um, cool, pretty sure. Yeah. So this is like in just this shot. This temporary close-up, not to mention, I think we see at least one of Lumpy's ears pierced. This guy is giving off big pirate vibes, minus an eye patch. <laughs> yeah, he should have just completed the ensemble instead of squinting his eye the whole time. Come yeah, on. nice method. <laughs> um, it's pretty great. You know, it's like we, in like only a few seconds of looking at him, we definitely get the visage of a very well-traveled sailor. Like, this is a career sailor. We know he's been sailing for at least seven years yeah. with uh, Hayes. Oh, but, yeah. Okay, I see the shark tooth. That's like, that's Megalodon tooth size. That's not even Great White. That's like Megalodon tooth size. Yeah. Which, surprisingly, aren't that uncommon. Hmm. Um, I have several of them on a shelf. Oh, interesting. Um, my friend, yeah, my friend found a bunch of them. Um, I purchased one on eBay that was in pretty good condition. They're pretty cheap. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, they're huge. So yeah. that's that's about the size he's got on. I went on a shark phase. Didn't we <laughs> so all looking, at some point? Didn't we all? I watched. Oh man, did I watch some stupid movies? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Sharknado. <laughs> I watched all five of them at the time. That's a sin. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's definitely a megalodon tooth around his neck. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool detail that I didn't notice until you said it. So mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, then we just see Lumpy launching into his, uh, spiel about the, uh, no, I don't know, Castaway or Survivor, basically? Castaway. Castaway, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, uh, while they were working on, as Lumpy calls it, a Norwegian bark, which is mm -hmm. just an archaic term for a ship. Yes, but it is also, well, unless you had more to say about that, I had something to say about no, it. No, go ahead. Perfect. That was, um, in the 1933 film, that is... Carl found a captain of a Norwegian bark hmm. who had that's how he came in possession of the map and that's all that's ever said about it in that film fascinating um, and I believe we meet that captain in Son of Kong interesting so I I don't I never finished Son of Kong I started it <laughs> hmm. um I don't know if I should save this for the Patreon um episode okay. for the Cooper film but I have this memory. I don't know if I'm getting this right, but I have this memory okay. of my dad telling me about a novelization of the 33 film, mm -hmm. which apparently had some, included some extra material. Apparently it included um, a particularly notorious uh, chasm scene, um, like in, like described in prose. And it also apparently began with a little bit of exterior narration from Engelhorn, and apparently it started with the line, a line that basically some uh, was akin to, there are some nights when I still wake up screaming and I don't scare easily. Wow. That kind of makes me want to read it. It was uh, written in 1932 mm. at the request of his friend. Oh, okay, so 
D-E-L-O-S, not sure how to pronounce the first name, uh, Lovelace, Loveless. In 1932, he wrote it hmm. on request of his friend, Marion C. Cooper. So, I guess as he was making the movie, he decided to have someone write a novelization that spoiled it all. But, <laughs> okay. um, interesting. That's, that's funny. I mean, that's a, you know, that's something we see a lot today. Like, um, we mentioned Michael Crichton's work. Um, yeah. I mean, Timeline, for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, actually, I... No, I've... Yeah, the novel definitely did predate the movie. Um, but, I mean, it's like with a lot of things, um, you see novelizations written to sort of accompany a uh, film's release. In certain cases, like the 2008 Clone Wars film, the novelization outshines the film. I didn't know there was a novelization for that film. It's better. I've never finished that film. It's better. It's objectively better. <sighs> that That baby Jabba thing... I couldn't yeah. finish that movie because it was just way too annoying. Actually, I found Ahsoka super annoying too back then. She so. was. I mean, she was intentional. Well, she was. She was intentionally done so. Um, yeah. Um, you know, they really her character gets mega reclaimed later yes. on oh because gosh. well, She's it's character growth so good, and it's good character growth. She's got to be in the top three Star Wars characters of all time at this point. Oh, like yeah. in in fandom love. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> not Star Wars minute. Yeah, I know. As much as I want to talk about Star Wars right now. Um, I just want to say that the building dread that yes. you feel in this scene is palpable, and it's great. Um, any of the time we get a shot of poor, nervous Preston over here, that uh, <laughs> works really well. Yes, we get a great one of him later. Yes. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll the get end there. Of tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, yes, yeah, so I, um, I find it funny that this story is kind of a scary sailor story um you know meant to frighten off the landlubbers who don't know what sailors go through uh-huh uh, but it's true <laughs> that's the funny part is yeah. all of it's true almost all of it yeah um and of course andy circus just telling it dramatically it reminds me mm -hmm. of the um he does audiobooks for uh lord of the rings and hobbit oh that's so great I have the Hobbit audiobook, and let me tell you, it's it's the best audiobook I've ever heard. <laughs> I want to pick that up just so I can hear him do Smaug. Ooh, I haven't gotten there yet. Now that I think about it, I've only... Yeah, I'm like halfway through the first one. Mm -hmm. But Andy Serkis' voice, <laughs> iconic. Oh my gosh. Andy Serkis, iconic. Oh no, now I'm really curious. Because if he does the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, if he does the audiobook, when he reads for Gollum... Is he just doing Gollum's voice? <laughs> he does. Oh, that's he great. does, and it's amazing. I did get to the riddles in the dark scene, and let me tell you, it's some of the best audiobook ever. Gosh, in I, existence. I it's can so only good. imagine. Mm -hmm. Look it up. I'll it's have fantastic. to now. Now I got to rewatch the Hobbit trilogy. I don't like no, a lot don't. of it, but <laughs> no, you don't. We already talked about how much we hated them. Well, I, I need to find the supercut that somebody has must have done out there to actually turn it all into a like one or two good movies. Instead of three yeah. crap ones. Well, two crap ones and one yeah, yeah. doable one. The first I one, actually, I love the first. <laughs> the first one is solid. Mm -hmm. Through and through. There's, I think there's one thing, speaking of Howard Shore, was that yesterday? I don't know. Yeah. Um, speaking of Howard Shore, one thing that would have helped a lot is if they had kept the Misty Mountain theme throughout all three movies. Yes, agreed. I think the only time it plays again after the first movie is when the um, 
the dwarves decide to join the battle and kind of break out of Erebor uh-huh. all in their final charge after Thorin loses his dragon sickness. I think it plays there. It's a shame. And that's the only time. If they would have kept... That's such an epic theme that they had. Agreed. They should have kept it. And that would have tied it together so much better. Mm. Even that alone would have saved it a lot for me. It's kind of like how um, the main theme for Thorin Asgard in the Marvel movies should have been used more when we see his when we see his character because Agreed. it's such a good theme um I th- was that michael mm-hmm. giacchino that did the score um, i think it was he did doctor I, strange I, say, I know that yes i can't say it with full confidence but i think it no that doesn't sound right now but i i, I thought it was uh-huh. i know alan silvestri does a lot of them uh, right. he did back to the future as well um yeah but the thor theme well we were actually <laughs> mcu minute now but uh we were making our way through the mcu mcu films my wife and i and she nice. asked me wait do all the avengers have different themes i was like well captain america definitely does yes <laughs> but i don't know about um you know the others because they just kind of don't use it all the time the uh-huh. i think pe- i think people in hollywood tend to u- underestimate those of us who pay attention to musical cues. Uh-huh. um like they all definitely do have themes like free like i know with iron man Basically, after the first movie, they just said, screw it, let's just make ACDC his theme. Um, but <laughs> All it, of ACDC. <laughs> yeah, in the first movie, he definitely does have an established theme, and it's good. Um, Cap is probably the one you hear the theme most often. Um, yes. And then, like, the Avengers theme itself. Um, but Thor, a little bit, but I mean, it's like, uh, man, they really cheated themselves there, because Thor's main theme is so stirring and powerful. So Thor, I looked into it again, not MCU minute, but hey, enjoy while we're just talking. Um, <laughs> was done by Patrick Doyle. Yes, saw that. Who now. was known for uh, Planet of the, well, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which personally is a great soundtrack, and I love that movie. I don't like the sequels mm-hmm. again. And Aragon, terrible wah, wah. movie, great score, great cast, great score. I don't know about great cast in all parts, but for most of it. Mostly, okay, in theory, a great cast. Uh, the fact that John, John Malkovich yeah. got that award for being the worst on-screen villain. I've never seen John Malkovich be so bad. I mean... I still don't know what happened there. Film, just phoning it in, collecting a paycheck. Yeah. Because John Malkovich, like, he's not a... He's been uh, good villains before. If you've ever seen In the Line of Fire, he's terrifying. Um, what was, uh, Derza? He was also in, uh, Once Upon a Time, the show. Oh, um, I'm gonna kick myself. Hang on. I'm gonna bring him look Anyway, he, he's a really good actor. Yeah. And I've only seen him in those two things, and I can't even think of his name. But. Man. Uh, Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for looking that up. Um. Yeah. Yeah, he... He's very, very good. I love him in Once Upon a Time. Have you watched Once Upon a yeah, Time? Yeah, no, he's excellent. He's one of so the good. he's one of the few parts of the show that like keeps me watching that show. Well, I mean, I stopped after season two, but he was good in those two seasons. Yeah, well, um, I can tell you that he's a show. He's yeah, it is. He's basically part of what helps keeps you stringing along through entire seasons of filler. Gotcha. Well, good to know. That show one of these is, days, I'd actually like to go back and watch it. I really would. But. That show has got more filler than some anime. <laughs> um. So anyway, wow, that was a that was a tangent and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, were we still talking about King Kong? Did we? Uh, what, Maybe what somewhere in there. <laughs> oh, okay, we're it's, talking it's, about the description of the 
sailor's story. The crazy it started with Andy Circus. It started with Andy Circus. Doesn't everything though? Yeah. Let's be honest um, here. The only other thing, yeah, really. Um, the only other thing that I really had for any of this was I like the sense of impending dread building with this story, and I also like just the ancient feeling that Lumpy's story gives to this. This wall that no one can remember when it was built or who built it, just that it was there long before anyone can remember. Like, that ancient eldritch vibe. I absolutely love that. Yes, that is fantastic. In the book that you gave me, the the making... Not the making. Now I can't think of it. The Natural History yeah. of Skull Island. That book. Um, it specifically says they know that Skull Islanders didn't make it. Yeah. But someone long forgotten did. Yeah. And I, it's very, very cool concept that the Skull Islanders just made it their own and use it. But uh-huh. even they don't know who built it. Yeah, like, this is a, like, uh, pre-Calamity uh, uh, Atlant- like Atlantean parallel kind of society. Yeah, which is, the the concept then goes back to think that these people of, a lot, a lot of supposition here, but these people of ancient power and ability to build these massive wall had a reason to build that wall, and it could have been kong's ancestors versus these ancient civilization and uh-huh very cool concepts yeah that are not explored well not not deeply explored because it's just fun to have you feel dwarfed by the size of it all oh yeah and it's like you have absolutely no um indication of this in the film but the more you dive into it um just because like this is jumping ahead a bit but i've also read this and i've watched like the fake documentaries that they came made to accompany it um and it basically indicates that the civilization originally built these walls to keep, like, to be on the other side, originally. Um, but then they were eventually driven out by seismic shifts that suddenly made their civilization inside uh, the wall unstable, and then started, like, basically colliding their civilized areas with the wilder areas of the island where all these, like, uh, prehistoric animals um, had their habitats, and then when they started converging, the people moved to the outer, the exterior of the wall because it was the only safe place left, but that was basically leaving them between a literal rock and a hard place. Between this exterior where there were no, um, like, far- like there were no farming plots, there were no areas to hunt, there were no areas to gather, it was literally leaving them on between the wall, barren rock, and the sea. Which is a slow slow civilization death yeah i i had not heard of that before but that's cool mm-hmm. um, and we'll we can talk more i think yes. about it once we see the wall but yes that's awesome yeah we'll get there but again it lends itself to that profound melancholy that we get of the death of something ancient and that in turn brings it back to lumpy speech making it feel more ancient and Indeed. uh terrifying because yeah. we don't it's so mysterious mm-hmm. which is done well because then the theme starts playing again the skull island slash adventure yes. theme kind of plays underneath this yep so. works very well there great so you guys i promise you know we may have a lot of rabbit trails we may have a lot of offshoots but it's really worth it in the end when we get there i promise we 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 always pull the train back into the station yep or we try. <laughs> it may take a lot of detours, but the train always reaches the we station. We may go under the ocean to another continent. 
which trains aren't meant to do, but, you know. Screw it. It's our train of thought. It goes where it wants. <laughs> you're just along for the ride. You oh, didn't even have boy, to pay for your you? ticket. Again, why are you complaining? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, that's all I got for this one. Clearly. Yeah, that's going to wrap it up as well for me. All right. Um, I have no other plugs. Uh, can you uh, join me again tomorrow? Uh, the I last think I day can pull it week? off. Perfect. Then I will talk to you then. All right. Well, folks, this feels like a conclusion. So you will hear us when you hear us on the next episode of The, the King, King Kong, Kong Minute. Minute. Bye, everyone.